If you have your Bible today, look with me at Luke 14, verses 7 through 11. The title of my message today is How to Handle Criticism. I bet you have never heard a sermon titled that. <laughs> but today, I'm going to help uh, you and me as we think about how to do it. And the passage today is one that, uh, of course, uh, brings the point home. So Jesus told a parable to those who were invited. Then he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lower place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whosoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I just have to tell this story. When I was a kid, I was pastoring my first little country church. We had about 150 people, and I was a part of the what they call the Dallas Baptist Association in Dallas, Texas. And they had a lot of meetings at First Baptist Church in Dallas. At that time, that was the largest, strongest Baptist church in the world. And uh, I would go to meetings that they had there for training and whatnot, and uh, one day I went, and of course uh, I was a nobody, and I sat about as far away from the uh, head table and the speaker's platform as uh, I could possibly get, because those were the only seats left. And uh, <laughs> this fella uh, came in, and he walked uh, through all the crowd and came back and sat down beside me, and lo and behold, it was Dr. Uh, Criswell who was the pastor of that church. And uh, he started preaching at the same church that I was pastoring when he came back to talk to me. And uh, it was really neat, and uh, we talked for about 10 minutes. And then somebody at the head table said, Dr. Crystal, would you please come and, and be seated at the head table? And every time I have ever read this passage... Uh, you know, I think about that day when Dr. Crystal was called up to the head table. That's really the way it works. And uh, that's the way that would honor our Lord. If you are in any leadership uh, position in your neighborhood, uh, in your business, in some club that you might be in, or even here at church, if you are in a leadership position, you are in for some criticism. That's the way it works. You cannot escape it, but you can learn to cope with it. I have been accused in my life of thinking too big, and I've been accused in my life of thinking too small. Well, you know, you just get criticized, uh, no matter what you're doing or how well you're doing it. 
Did you hear the story about the man from Atlanta that moved to Texas? He uh, didn't fit in well out there. And he tried to make some friends, but nothing seemed to click. And after he'd been there about six months, he didn't have a single friend, wasn't involved in a single thing. And he thought, you know, there must be something wrong with me. And so he called up and got an appointment with a psychologist. And he went to see the psychologist, and the psychologist counseled him numerous times. And finally, the psychologist said to him, well, I know your problem. He said, "Uh, you don't think big enough. He said, people here in Texas think big, and you don't think big. You've got to start thinking big. Well, the man didn't quite know what to do about that, but uh, he had a dog that he wanted to sell, and so he put a big sign in his front yard, and the sign said, big dog for sale, (laughs) $50,000. Well, the psychologist knew where this guy lived, and so he drove by his house every uh, day on his way to work and by the house on his way home. So he saw this sign and read it, and he thought, well, that's interesting. And the next day he saw the sign, he read it again, and he thought, well, that's, that's interesting. And uh, after three days, the sign was gone. And the psychologist began to kind of think about it. He was, you know, his curiosity was uh, kind of bothering him a little bit. So he called the man, and he said, well, did you sell your dog for $50,000? And the man said, no, no, I didn't. He said, a real nice Texan came and traded me two $25,000 cats for it. (laughs) Now, we have to think big. You know, that's, that's part of it. The bigger your responsibility, the bigger you are, so to speak, in work and play and organization, whatever it is. The bigger you are, the more criticism you're going to get. You can just write that down somewhere uh, because that's the truth. How do you react to criticism? If you react... uh, in the right way, it's great. If you don't, it's, it's not so great. How do you react? How do you let it affect you on both your emotional, well-living basis and on the success that you have chosen uh, for your life work? How are you doing? To be properly equipped for leadership, you have got to learn how to handle criticism. I've done a lot of counseling over the years, and I'm convinced that most people have no idea whatsoever how to deal with criticism. Most people just don't know how to do it. There are a lot of people who are irritated by criticism, and they are so upset about it, they cannot digest their food. Uh, There are some people that are criticized, and they have a lingering depression. You know, you've seen in the news and in the newspaper on TV uh, these young people that are, commi- are 
uh, criticized by four or five of their friends, and they go home and kill themselves. You've read about that in the paper, I'm sure. That's happened a lot, not just one or two times, a lot of times. Criticism can really, really hurt you. Uh, some people uh, have an uh, inability to function normally after they're uh, criticized. They, they literally get ill. And some people even have a total uh, breakdown. Some people cope with criticism by transferring to some new job or by moving to another city. Is there a way to learn to cope with criticism? Yes, there, there is a way, but it's very difficult to do it. Uh, I hope that you will uh, pick up a couple of these ideas and maybe you can use them the next time somebody is in the process of hurting your feelings. I'm going to try and prepare you to face conflict and criticism that is for sure, sooner or later, going to come and uh, rest on, on your shoulders. I believe there is even a way to turn criticism into a situation that will bring glory to God. First of all, let me ask you this. What is it that makes criticism hurt us so much? If you're going to learn to cope with criticism, you must examine the part of you that is so hurt by the criticism. In Jeremiah 17, 9, the Bible warns, the heart is deceitful above all things. I have never really understood that verse very well. Uh, sometimes, I know this, the heart protects us from things that are bothering us. Uh, when we need to see something painful about ourselves, our heart uh, tends to uh, jump in and help us. Sometimes people's criticism is valid. It's valid. And we need to hear it. And we need to change ourselves according to what the person says to us. Because there are some things, obviously, that we're not doing right. The main reason we are hurt by criticism is our pride. Sometimes we, we really try to make a good impression. We try and dress right and, and think of all the right things that we're going to say. And uh, we try and, you know, move around at the meeting to get with the right people. We want to make a good impression. And we just blow it. We do a terrible job. And we go home and we're just absolutely miserable. And uh, somebody even tells us before we leave, you know, that didn't go very well, did it? And, uh, of course, we have to say, no, it didn't go well at all. Well, if we don't get the job that we're looking for, you know, if we ask why we didn't get the job, somebody, you know, tells us. They give us a critique. And, of course, that hurts. We, we don't want to hear that, but uh, uh, that is the presenting reason that they give. Sometimes if we're trying to get a date with a man or a woman and uh, it doesn't work out and they act like, uh, don't bother me, um, you know, we think, well, what's, what's wrong with me? You know, this, this person is criticizing me without, without really saying anything. What's wrong? If you don't have the meal turn out just exactly like you want it to, you've worked and worked and worked on it, 
and doesn't turn out exactly like he wanted it to. In fact, somebody says, you know, this is dry. <laughs> or this is, is something wrong with this? This, this doesn't taste good. Uh, you know, and then we want to go in the other room and shoot ourselves in the head. <laughs> the higher we regard our intelligence, for, ex- for instance, the worse our wound when it is called into question. Jesus' prescription for dealing with easily wounded pride is found in our text today in Luke 14, 7 through 11. Uh, this is our text for this message, and it's, it's a very important text. You know, we're supposed to be uh, living up to a certain standard. I was working in a church in Dallas uh, years ago, and we had a deacon in our church that uh, was very disliked in the neighborhood. And, you know, I kept hearing about him. He was a deacon, and he was supposed to be, you know, kind of helping people toward Jesus, and he was making all the neighbors mad. And uh, this one guy told me about that at the grocery store, and another guy called me on the phone. And he said, is so-and-so, and and gave his name, he said, is he a member of your church? And I said, yes, he is. He said, I heard he was a deacon there. Yes, I said, he is. And the guy on the phone said, he is a terrible person, just terrible. He's awful. Everybody in this neighborhood hates him. He's awful. The things he does with his trash and the loud music and the way he drives his cars, I mean, nobody likes him. Is there anything you can do about him? Well, I mean, what am I supposed to do then? So I took him to lunch a few days later, and we went out and talked. And I said, well, how have you met anybody in your church, in in your neighborhood, that might be interested in coming to our church? He said, not yet. And, uh, you know, I I just kind of tried to say something without saying something. The clear message is, don't honor yourself. The text, our text today is saying, basically that's what it's saying. Don't put yourself up at the head table. Don't just walk in and say, well, this is where I belong, I'm important. You know, with all your pride, you just sit down at the head table. You're not supposed to do that. Let other people elevate you. If you take the high position... You're setting yourself up for sure criticism. It is coming. Believe me. There's always someone around that wants to knock you down uh, a peg or two. Let me ask you a very, very serious question. How do you react when someone who prides themselves in being brutally frank comes up to you and starts really blasting you? They question your your basic abilities you know they like this they like to do it they come up and they question your like if you're an artist uh, they would say to you you know I've heard a number of people say that you really don't have any ability at all to draw (laughs) you know how do you recover from that or they uh, say to you you know I I hear that you're an analyst down at such and such a company and you say yes I am and they say I, 
I hear that you are just kind of holding on by your fingers, that they're about to let you go. You know, there are people that, uh, you know, they, they just get a joy out of doing that. Um, you know, you, you want to say something ugly back. You know, that's kind of the immediate thing. But are we mature enough spiritually to see that person as a prospect for the kingdom of God? Or would we rather just say, why don't you drop dead? <laughs> you know, we kind of have these options. What we really want to do and, and what we should do as a Christian is we should be trying to help them and to lead them uh, closer to our Lord. That's what we're commissioned to do. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh disgrace. Well, we must either get the best of our pride, or our pride will get the best of us. That's the way it works. The first lesson to learn in handling criticism is to know that it is more important for you to get the best of yourself than to get the best of the other person. If we can be freed from the tyranny of pride, we can represent Jesus and not just ourselves. You know, these uh, 42 that are going on a trip, I hope and pray that uh, they'll make America look good. You know, a lot of people all over the world just hate us. And it's because of the way that some people from here act when they're over there. And, you know, wherever we go, whether it's here or on some trip somewhere, I hope that we represent Jesus well. I mean, that's the that's the bottom line. We're We're on a mission. You know, we have a... We have a job to do, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, to represent uh, our Lord, not just ourselves. Have you ever tried to figure out why the critic came to you? Why didn't they go to the next person or the person down there? Why did they come to you? Uh, You remember now that the presenting reason may not be the real reason. They might just be jealous of you. You might be doing something so well that they are jealous. And so they want to knock you down a little bit because you're doing so well. Or maybe it's just a desire for attention. You know, they want uh, people to know that they have something to say about things and that they're not afraid to say things. And, of course, it's uh, something ugly about you And then later you hear about it and you don't appreciate it. Maybe it's overcompensation for their feelings of low self-esteem. Maybe that's what it is. The critic may feel like you are the only person in the world that they can tell off without serious consequences. You know, being a pastor of a church, uh, I've had that uh, a number of times. Some people come in, and they just 
rail on me for about 30 minutes. And then it's like uh, they have taken a Tylenol and they feel better. (laughs) And they get up and leave. You know, and I feel like, well, I was the depository for for their uh, upsetness. And, uh, you know, and that's the way it is. You know, some people, you can say anything you want to, there's no repercussions. They can't do anything about it. You know, it wouldn't look good in the paper if I just beat the devil out of somebody in my office. (laughs) That wouldn't look good at all. Can't uh, can't do that. Uh, Some critics are motivated purely by animosity. Their type is easy to spot by how their face looks, by how their voice sounds, the tone of their voice. Soon they betray their real motivation. Their message will most likely be built on just a little tiny element of truth, but the tools of their trade are exaggeration, false accusation, and confrontation. Those are the things that they really use. Because they don't like you, They want to hurt you. Your critic has probably anticipated this confrontation with sadistic delight. He has assumed that his brutal attack will really hurt you. And that's what he wants to do. He plans to brag about how he put you in your place. He doesn't realize that you are combat ready. When he comes in to talk to you, you have no bubble of pride for him to burst. Your reaction is not, oh no, here he comes. But rather, thank you, Lord, for bringing this man to my doorstep, bringing the mission field right here to where I am. Dwight L. Moody was a great, great preacher. He was known all over the world did revivals all around the world. He was great, just a great, great preacher. Had a distinguished career. Built a great church, led thousands and thousands of people to Christ. In the latter years of his ministry, a bunch of people got together and said, you know, he's getting old. We need to have a giant reception for him. And so they got all the political leaders and all the religious leaders and all the town leaders and all the mayors and got everybody together. And they were going to have a big, big shindig for him. And uh, they planned it all, and it was advertised in the newspaper. Anybody could come, and they rented a coliseum. And uh, it was a big crowd. Well, uh, Dwight L. Moody uh, came, you know, he had to be there, so uh, he got in his car and he drove toward the thing, but there were cars everywhere, so he had to park a long way off. And all of a sudden, it started raining real hard, real hard. And he had a big umbrella in the back seat, so he got out the big umbrella and he opened it up. He started walking toward the Coliseum. And there was a guy walking in the same direction, and Dr. Moody said, would you like to walk under my umbrella? And the guy said, I sure would. I'm getting soaked. Well, he came and got under the uh, umbrella, and come to find out, this guy was going to the reception. He was going to the same place. 
They talked a little bit, and after a while, the uh, fellow said, as they were walking along, he said, you know, I have never seen Dr. Moody. I, I don't know him. But uh, I, I'm really going to this reception to satisfy my personal curiosity. Between the two of us, he said, I have always thought that Moody was a much overrated man. (laughs) Moody looked at the man and said, that's my opinion also. (laughs) In dealing with your critic, even though he has come to hurt you, Treat him as a friend. Offer him the most comfortable chair in the room. Ask him what's on his heart. Give him your undivided attention. Keep good eye contact. Let him do all the talking. Don't interrupt even for clarification. Above all, don't contradict him, no matter how ridiculous what he's saying might be. When he is finished, get a pencil and paper and say that you want to write down his main points and you kind of go over those points with him. Your actions show that you have no reason to resent what he is saying. It also shows that you have regard for him as a reasonable person and you are interested in what he has to say. Even if the criticism is trivial, Treat it seriously. Tell him that you want to think about and pray about what he has said, and you'll talk to him later about their conversation. Shake hands with him and wish him a good day. Imagine some of your critics' thoughts as they walk down the sidewalk away from your office. They might be thinking, well, he didn't act at all like I thought he would. He didn't argue with me. He was very considerate. He treated me with respect. He didn't respond to my criticism in the way other people do. He displayed a stability that I cannot help but admire. What I said seemed not to rile him or anger him at all. I had regarded him as an enemy, but now I'm not so sure but what I wouldn't like to have him as a friend. Once your critic has left, don't neglect to follow through on your part of the bargain. Give your critic's views some careful consideration. Pray for that person. The next time you meet them, thank them for the time and interest they gave to the issues. If you have to, just if you have to, Tell him where you disagree. Even while you do that, be humble and sincere and maintain a Christian demeanor. Sometimes a sincere friend will come up to you and will put their arm around you or they'll stop by and drink a cup of coffee with you or something like that. And they'll say something that is constructive criticism. This type of critic is easy to recognize. Their words are sweet, in spirit, uh, they're in the right place. The motivation will be to build you up. They want to help you. They're trying to 
help you up. There will be no false accusations. There will be no contentiousness. Be hospitable like you were with the hostile critic. Listen without interrupting. Above all, be ready to admit a fault or a mistake that you have. Even though you have every reason to justify yourself, don't. Don't. Just let that go. When counseled by a friend, now here's the most important sentence of this sermon. When counseled by a friend, you have the opportunity to learn more that's important to you and helpful to your future life than you could learn in a month of reading self-help books. Remember, good Christian friends are family. They are brothers and sisters in the faith to you. Our goal in the Christian life is to grow in the likeness and image of Jesus. That, that, that's supposed to be our goal. Our critics, whether hostile or friendly, can help us greatly achieve that goal. Well, this morning, I don't know if you have come to uh, just listen or if you have come to maybe you've been praying about, thinking about uh, joining the church, being a part of our family. We'd love to have you. We always uh, give an invitation at the end of our services. Maybe there's someone here today that has never really trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. I hope that you would do that. Today, There'd never be a better day than today to make a public profession of your faith in him. I'm going to be standing right down here at the front. If the Lord leads you, don't hold back, but let go. Let God have his way in your life. I'll be waiting here at the front for you to come. Let's stand as we sing.